thank you for each one that is here. And Lord, we ask that you would take this time as we examine your word, that you would bless us, that you would encourage and strengthen us. Lord, we ask that you would use us in your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Psalm 119, we have three sets of eight verses left. Only three. We're going to try to get through one tonight, and then that will give us only two more times. We'll have one more before the missions conference next week, and then our missions conference. And I will work on it. I'm not going to rush it, but if we can, we may do two next week and then finish Psalm 119 before the missions conference. But uh, don't, don't plan on that. We'll probably need at least one when we're done to try to wrap the whole thing up. Verse 153 is where we are, the resh strophe. That is the R strophe, the, uh, the equivalent. And if you'll notice, the letter looks very much like an R. It's only backwards. And uh, my professor, when I took Psalm 119, spent a great deal of time talking about how that so much of the English and other languages are really backwards Hebrew. That when God confounded the languages at the Tower of Babel, that the language he believes was Hebrew, and that all modern languages stem from a confused version of the Hebrew language. And, and he gave a lot of information. And by the way, he's not the only one that believes that. But uh, I just wanted to draw your attention that that little R almost looks like a backwards R. And each verse here, if we could read the Hebrew, would start with this letter. And as we begin a reading, verse 153, Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Plead my cause and deliver me, quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord, quicken me according to thy judgments. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do not I decline from thy testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts, quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Now, as we read this, again, I want to, to warn you not to think of this as the psalmist being in despair. I don't believe that is the thought. He was not pleading, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm hanging on by my last little thread. If you don't deliver me, I'm going to perish uh, I don't believe that that is the thought that is here. Just like the last verse, he said, I cried with my whole heart. It was not the fact that he had such great problems. It was the fact that he was able to concentrate everything he is to call upon God from a united heart, a heart united to fear him. Jesus put it this way, blessed are the pure in what? 
the blessed are the pure in heart. That means without adulteration. That means without addition and subtraction. How many times have we called on the Lord saying, Lord, I'm the problem. I've got this part of me that no matter how hard I step on it and squash it and crush it, it still wants things that are contrary to your word. Anybody ever been there? As you grow in the Lord, we ought to be able to call upon Him with all of us. That is what the psalmist means. And here, he's saying, consider mine affliction. Now, why is he asking God to think about his affliction? Now, I want to just kind of set the stage here. Uh, Three times in this set of eight verses, he's going to ask the Lord to quicken him. The word quicken means to give life, to enliven, to make more alive. And yet, what did Jesus say? I've come to give them life, and life, what? More abundantly. You see, if we'll make the right connections, we will not see an old man bowing in despair, saying, all is lost. We're going to see a man who really understands what God's Word is about. And I'm just giving you my personal opinion. Uh, I believe that this is the prayer diary of King David. That's, that's the simplest I can get. There are so many matches that this thing makes in the life of David. And I've often tried to warn people that become new Christians, as you grow in your faith of God, the first thing that you're going to notice is God's forgiveness. But then, as you get closer to God, you're going to, be able, you're going to begin to realize there's more sin in you than you thought there was. Things that did not bother you before, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is poking that nerve of conviction saying, hey, you need to change this too. Well, Lord, why didn't, you tell me this before because you wouldn't listen before. God is not a God that wants to overwhelm you with your own faults. Now, that's not hard for most of us to have happen, now is it? I mean, if we just sat down and started writing out a list of everything that we know, I mean, we could end up like Applewaite's group and all commit suicide, right? I mean, it'd just be depressing and say, how in the world can God ever use me? Uh, wait a minute. The problem is not... Uh, the problem with using us is not yours. You cannot make yourself usable to God. But God can. Did I say that right? Did we get it? Um, you see, the problem normally is us. But God takes that problem, me, and He says, you let me figure out how I will use you to serve me. And every once in a while, as you grow in your relationship with God, you will see that God has used you to be a blessing to someone else. 
And that's why the psalmist says, Consider mine affliction. You see, the Lord is not going to allow you. The reference I have there is 1 Corinthians 10.13. The Lord is not going to allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Consider mine affliction. And this is a problem that a lot of preachers have. In fact, a lot of people get this problem. It's called transference. How many have ever heard of that phrase? That's where you take everybody else's problems and you make them yours. Now, let me warn you. You already have enough problems. You don't need anybody else's. All right? And the, the next step of transference is the Messiah complex. That is, once you take everybody's problems upon yourself, then you begin to see yourself as their Savior and the one who can straighten out all of their problems. Uh, Let me tell you, if you ever get there, I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, I think, call me. You're in trouble. Uh, You are in real trouble. If you want to know the number one reason why preachers flunk out of the ministry is they begin to think they are somebody's answer. Let me tell you something. God is the answer. Not the preacher. Not the king. If David were the author of this song. And he's saying, Lord, I believe that you are not going to allow me to be tempted above that I'm able. Yes, I'm reading New Testament words into an Old Testament life, but there is a connection there. But the only problem is, God doesn't let us see where the breaking point is. And sometimes it feels like God has bent us to the point to where we're just about ready to crack. Anybody been there? The pressure is on. The psalmist is saying, listen, the pressure's on. Lord, you think about where I am. The temperature's getting hot. Uh, We're reaching the melting point. I don't know where the cracking point is. But it feels like we're awful close. How many of you have ever seen uh, a... Power, I'm not talking about these cheap little toy bows and suction cups, but a real uh, bow and arrow shot like at a target range or something like that. When you bring that bow back the whole way to the draw length, the fibers in that bow, in those limbs, are about 90% broken. Don't ever... Pull back a bow and just let the string go or it will shatter like a piece of glass and it can do damage. It has to have the weight of the arrow to keep the bow from breaking. That's a picture of what's going on here in verse 1. He is far enough, the psalmist is far enough through his life that he's feeling the stress. It is stretched. Now, Lord, when are you going to 
When are you going to pull that trigger and let that thing go? Uh, Lord, I, I need some, I, I need a little relief right now. But I know, I know that you're not going to put me in a position where I'm going to break. If I break, it'll be because of something wrong that I have done, not that God has done in my life. That's what he's saying. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Here's one of the ways that you can know that God is working in your life instead of the devil attacking you. Did you get there by obeying God? Did you get in the pressure cooker by doing right? Or did you get in the pressure cooker because you disobeyed God's Word? If you got there by doing right, don't forget God's laws because He's going to bring you through. He will deliver you. If you got there by doing wrong, the first thing you do is stop and confess your sin to God. Then you confess your sin to other people that it has affected. And then you try to start doing right again. Look at the next verse, verse 154. He says, Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. This is the first plea for life. And he starts this by plead my cause. Now, we use this phraseology today in modern English when you are brought before a tribunal, before a court of law, you must have or should have a lawyer to, what is it called? Plead your case. Plead your cause. I heard a preacher preach many years ago a sermon. You will quote the King James Bible if you speak English. Oh, it's a great message. And uh, here's what the psalmist is doing. He is subject of this sentence. Any grammarians here tonight? Brother Franz is gone. To, he always agrees with me because I try to be careful in my sentence diagramming. The subject of this sentence is what we call in English, you understood. Who is the psalmist speaking to? He's speaking to God. So God is the person, second person, understood that is being spoken of here. First, first verse, he says, consider mine affliction. God, look at my life and deliver me. But Lord, I know you're going to deliver me. I know you're faithful. I'm trusting in you. That's why I'm not forgetting thy law. The second verse, he says, plead my case and deliver me. Then he says, quicken me according to thy word. Plead my cause. I'll tell you, let's, let's go get this verse. Instead of talk about it, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
Actually, I think that should be 2 Timothy chapter 2. No? Oh, wait a minute. It's verse... Oh, there we go. I'm in chapter 1. There we go. Yes, 1 Timothy 2.5. It is right. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, the psalmist is asking for his case to be pled. But as we've talked about, and, and I don't know if, if you remember all of these points that we have made here, but in the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist is looking to God and saying, God, I'm in all this trouble. You're going to have to do something about these wicked people out here. Now he's saying, God, I know you're going to take care of those wicked people out there. But guess what? I have to stand before you. As you grow in your maturity of Christ, not only are you going to see your own sinfulness, you are going to better understand God's holiness. And there is naturally going to be a little bit of fear develop in your heart because as a Christian, you know that you're going to stand before that perfectly holy God and be judged for every moment of your life. And if that doesn't bring just a little fear, then something's wrong. That's where the fear of God is. Now, praise God, every sin was judged on the cross. But let, let me tell you something. Fortunately, I have not had to have surgery only a couple of times in my life. But you know what? I wanted a good, I wanted the best surgeon I could get to do the cutting. Everybody with me on that? I've never had to go to a court of law, but when we closed on this building, we needed a lawyer. And let me tell you, God gave us the best lawyer I have ever heard of. A good Christian man to do our closing for us. And if he hadn't been there, let me tell you, we would have been done out of a lot of things. I remember our lawyer talking to the rabbi that was fishing. He said, are you really just trying to be a shark here? And the rabbi looked at him and said, well, no, no. He said, then, you don't do a lot of real estate, do you? And the rabbi started relaxing a little bit and said, no, no, I'm, I'm more into other types of law. And he explained what he did. And he said, well, would you... Mind if, if we just, and our lawyer ran the closing. Like the story Brother Clayton told about the guy looking for the lawyer that had the same last name as the judge. Um, by the way, don't you try that. It's called conflict of interest. And somebody will go to jail. I trust, trust, uh, trust me on that one, all right? Uh, you can't get away with that anymore. But when I stand before God, there's only one lawyer that's admitted to the bar. There's only one lawyer that has standing in the court of heaven. His name is Jesus.
How many of you want him to plead your case? Let me tell you, I, I want him to plead my case. Amen? I want him to deliver me. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. John six sixty three, The verse that explains why we do not eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood at the Lord's Supper. He was speaking unto us about spiritual things. And those spiritual things are truth and their life. And our life is in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us life. Give me life according to thy word. Lord, let me live by the words of God. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Now look at verse 155. Here we see the focus shifting to those that are attacking him and bringing problems in his life. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Now, you know what the psalmist is saying here? Does he seem to be worried that the wicked are attacking him? Is this not a continual theme throughout the entire Psalm 119? He starts in the very beginning of the psalm, The princes did speak against me. He said, The evil are closing in. Those that seek mischief, they are near. They're closing in on me. Over and over again, this theme comes in. But we see a shift. We don't see him as in some psalms where the psalmist says, Get them, God. You do to them what they're trying to do to us. The psalmist here says, Salvation is far from the wicked. Do you know why people are so desperate to get money and power and position in this life? And why a true Bible-believing Christian does not have that kind of drive in them? We're looking forward to heaven. You know what? During the Millennial Kingdom, guess who's going to be in charge of everything? It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is going to be His servants? Who's going to rule and reign with Him? Those that served Him. I'm not worried about party affiliation. I'm not worried about climbing that corporate ladder, getting that political power, because my Savior, the one who's pleading my case with the Father in Heaven, is going to be in charge of everything. And I'm going to be one of His special servants. I don't need that junk in this life. Amen? Do you see how differently the psalmist is looking at the wicked? And one of the ways you can deal with the vehemence and the violence and the evilness of our day 
is to understand that these people have no salvation. They have no hope. They have no nothing. So why wouldn't they be trying to get all you can get and can all you get? Why would not an unsafe person feel justified in stepping on your head and destroying you if it were to get them just a little more of what this life has to offer because that's all they are looking for. They don't understand that there's a whole other world in which we are to enter. And don't you think that would help build you spiritually just to say, whoa, wait a minute. These wicked people that are doing these wicked things only have hope in this life. Have you ever met anyone that really has the power and money the world has to offer? They're miserable, aren't they? In fact, uh, I think it was Mr. Paul Harvey did a whole study on that thing. And the more money you get, the meaner you get. The more money you get, the more self-centered you get. The less of a person you become. He says the tipping point was about $75,000 in yearly income. How many say, well, I wouldn't mind starting there. But uh, it said much over that. And all of a sudden you start... It starts putting everything back in you. I don't know. But salvation is far from the wicked. That does not mean that they're not going to be afflicting the righteous, by the way. That does not mean that they're going to stop trying to manipulate. It doesn't mean that it doesn't look like the bad guy finishes first. Now, isn't that the way it looks today? I mean, if you're going to win, you've got to cheat a little. Isn't that what they say? The government's corrupt, therefore it's okay for us to be corrupt. Uh, no, it's not. Because salvation is far from the wicked. Why? For they seek not thy statutes. Turn with me to Psalm 73. This is a psalm of Asaph, one of the singers. And it goes, and one of these days, I have preached this psalm on Sunday morning, and we'll probably do it again. But look at verse 2. He says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone, My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on to describe the things that he had seen and how that he had looked as a priest, as one of the leaders of worship of Israel to the world and said, these people that disregard God have it so good. Till you get to verse 17. Until I went in to the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. 
we ought to feel pity for the wicked. Not a desire to strike out against them. And that's not easy. Our first desire is to do unto others as they have done unto you. Uh, That's not what the Bible says. It says, do unto others as you would have them. There's, There's a little difference there. Someone said, do unto others before they have a chance to do unto you. No, 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 no. That's not Bible. Do you see the psalmist's understanding here? Why was he in affliction? Why was he asking God to consider what was going on? Because he was suffering at the hands of these very wicked people whom he was saying, listen, salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. He's going to come back to this theme again. You see, wicked things happen to wicked people, do they not? But wicked things also happen to righteous people who are trying to do right. But if I'll keep my heart and my soul fixed upon the Word of God, that is my only protection, knowing that God is not out to hurt me. He said, I sent you as sheep among wolves. What happens to sheep and wolves in a pack of wolves? Let me tell you, it's not a pretty picture. But who's in charge? God is. And what's going to happen? Let's say the worst case scenario. They get you, they arrest you for being a Christian. They take you in in before the tribunal as of old. And you're convicted and sentenced to die. What happens the moment you die? To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. That's not such a bad thing, my friend. I, I still believe it's a little easier to die for Jesus than it is to live for him. He asks us to be that living sacrifice. And it's so easy for us to get our attention onto the wicked. And the psalmist here sets us straight. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Look at verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Again, we see the bouncing back and forth. He gets his focus on God. God, I want you to consider mine affliction. I want you to plead my cause. God, I want to be delivered so that I can keep your statutes. But the wicked are far from salvation. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. But great are thy tender mercies. Now, how do we get mercy? By being defeated. By surrendering to God. Isn't it wonderful? The devil defeats us. And when we surrender our defeat, our sin to God, God gives us mercy. 
You think the devil will give you mercy? Nope, he just gives you more sin. And more sin. Until you destroy yourself under the weight of your own sin. That's where the wicked are headed. How can you stay angry and hold a grudge against the wicked as they destroy themselves when you can enjoy the tender mercies of the Lord? You know what the problem is? We're too upset at the wicked for doing wickedness to enjoy the tender mercies of the Lord and we miss the blessings that God has for us. This is what the psalmist is saying. This is not the prayer of a young Christian that had just been saved for a few weeks. This is the lifelong foundation that has been built up in the, in the life of this man, the psalmist, that has written these words under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and he is looking at the wicked and they're not stopping being wicked. They're not stopping attacking him personally and as a king and trying to destroy his kingdom and the people that he is in charge of. But he says, salvation is far from the wicked. They're making decisions that is going to destroy themselves. But great are thy mercies, O Lord. Why are his mercies so great? Because he never quits forgiving our sin. What's the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person? Is God keeps forgiving the saved person. Why? Because Jesus paid for every sin on the cross. Now, I want you to look how he rejoins this tender mercies. Quicken me... The second plea for life, quicken me according to thy judgments. Lord, let me live your judgments. Now, don't we get upset? You're judging me. Who gave you the right to be my judge? How many of you have ever... You don't have to raise your hand. But we've all used that at one time or another now, haven't we? Don't be so judge... Wait a minute. Don't be so judgmental, they say. But wait a minute. Here the psalmist says, Lord, give me life according to thy judgments. If you want to live, you've got to know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And let me tell you, when you find yourself on the wrong side of that edge, it's not very comfortable. Especially when you're looking at God. But if you want life, what do you got to do? You got to step over the edge. And say, God, forgive me for being over there. We live in a world where our relationship with God no longer depends upon His judgments. The new God that they worship accepts your sin as it is. That is not the God of the Bible. That is a new God that is made in the fashion as a man. The God of the Bible examines and punishes every sin that was ever sinned. The weight of our sin is more than we can bear. You better have the right lawyer, my friend. 
Jesus pleads the same defense to every charge. I took care of that one on the cross. I took care of that one on the cross. If this were a court of law, you could just see the devil going, I object! Overruled. He took that care of that one on the cross. It's all kept in God's records. When God opens that book, the place where your name is written down, there's not going to be a sin in the record. It's all been blotted out with the blood of Jesus Christ. When God opens that other book to look for the sinner, his name has been blotted out because he refused to accept the blood of Jesus Christ as his Savior. Which will it be for you, my friend? Now, we've only gotten halfway through this stroke. And I hope you don't mind me taking time. This is important stuff. You want to know what you should be as a mature Christian. This is where you ought to be. Instead of looking at the wicked and saying, Oh, they're so wicked, they're so evil, we've got to do something to stop them. They are far from salvation. They, what's it say here? For they seek not thy statutes. Verse 158, I said he comes back to this. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. If you want to go back into the last strophe, he does the same thing. And several times... He talks about being grieved because of the judgment that is coming because of the wicked choices of wicked people. God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. God does not rejoice when people destroy themselves because God wants to forgive them. And if we want to grow in Christ, we've got to get our eyes off the wickedness of the wicked. But let me warn you, when you put your attention on the righteousness of a holy God, guess who's going to come up short? It's going to be you. It's going to be me. Do you think that's what Peter was talking about? If the righteous scarcely be saved, whence come the wicked? I, I believe that's what Peter's talking about right here. Because we're too busy trying to stop the sinners. When if we would draw close to God the way He wants, the sinners would believe our message. Now, wouldn't they? What did Gandhi say? I would be a Christian if it were not for Christians. And what he meant by that was the life that people live who call themselves Christians is so different from what the Bible teaches. I refuse to believe what the Bible teaches. Does that give him an excuse when he stands before God? No, it does not. 
because God is holy. And he accepts no excuses because the only lawyer that has standing in that court is the one to whom the psalmist pleads, plead thou my cause. Plead my cause and deliver me. My Lord, if you're going to give me life, it's got to be according to thy word. If you're going to give me life, it's got to be according to thy judgments. God, I got to do right because your word says so. This will keep you from transferring other people's problems into your life and thinking you're the solution to them. You know what? We could, we could put the National Psych Board of Psychiatry out of business if we could only teach people part of the lesson that we got tonight. you know that? But you can only have that confidence asking God to consider your affliction if you're in the pressure cooker because you are obedient to His Word. That's why he says, For I do not forget thy law. I'm living your law, but I am afflicted. And so, Lord, I know that you're not going to allow me to be afflicted above that I'm able, tempted above that I'm able. But I'm just a human being, and it sure doesn't feel that way right now, Lord. So you just help me to keep doing right until you take the tension off the bowstring. Amen? Until you turn down the heat on the pressure cooker. Whatever picture you like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, there's not a one of us that probably couldn't if we just thought about what's really going on in our life. Pray these words. Consider mine affliction and deliver me. Plead my cause and deliver me. But Lord, it would be a whole different thing for us to really understand that the cause of the wicked is because they don't seek Your Word and they don't care about You. Lord, we ask tonight that You would break our hearts. For the wicked. For the fact that they cannot understand your word. And cannot understand the truth that is capable of saving their souls. Lord, we ask that you would help us to get wrapped up in thy tender mercies. And to understand that. What the world loves to call legalism is really life. Because if we're going to live according to your words, then there's a right and there's a wrong. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to apply this to each life present here tonight. Lord, we would allow your word to convict us of our immaturity when we put ourselves against the words of the psalmist here. We would ask that you would move us in that direction. The Lord, our faith and our trust might be in your words, no matter how high the temperature gets. 
no matter how high the tension builds, that we know You're going to plead our case and that Your loving kindness is so great and Your tender mercies are far beyond anything we could ever deserve. Lord, let us live for You in these last days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We'll just ask the pianist to play us a couple verses. And if you need to slip out of your seat,